First of all, I realize this is probably not how you thought the story would start. Not with a big, shiny moon, or a city that could look stunning in spite of itself. Or me. Welcome to the second part of the Three Men in a Retrospective podcast, look at the Batman portion of the DC Universe. They're really making movies about every superhero! Listen in as Garrett... I look amazing. You guys look okay. Matt? God damn it. Well, what are you waiting for? Kick the hell out of me and get your standing ovation. And Adam... Uh, this guy? Really? Continue their look at all cinematic incarnations, starring The Gate Crusader. Hi, Bruce Wayne, billionaire, bon vivant, gallivanter, playboy, Gotham's most eligible bachelor like 90 years in a row. Included on this leg of the retrospective are reviews of Batman the Killing Joke. By clinging to reality, you're denying the reality of the situation. Suicide Squad. The world changed when Superman flew across the sky. And then it changed again when he didn't. The Lego Batman movie. I never sleep because I'm too busy fighting criminals and saving Gotham City 24-7. Justice League. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you doing this. And Teen Titans go to the movies. This is a DC movie? Don't forget to keep checking in each week as we are leading up to a review of Matt Reeves' latest Dark Knight incarnation, The Batman. I can already see. Things will get worse before they get better. All coming up, courtesy of Percolated Media. You ready? Let's go. Justice League, released November 17, 2017. Budget was $300 million, although that figure is very adjustable. Box office was $657.9 million, and this is directed by, uh, <laughs> uh, it says a Zack Snyder film at the beginning of what I would just watched. Yeah, it is. We'll discuss it, but it's officially directed by Zack Snyder. Oh God, boys, why do we have to start every one of these Batman movies with like a huge thing of how hard it was to get this thing made? Because if there's one movie that's going to have a huge buildup, and we mentioned this last week when we did the Lego Batman movie, it's going to be this one. So much to discuss with this. Every time I opened up social media, there was something going on with this production. What was your guys' anticipation going into Justice League? I was hopeful based on what I had seen marketing-wise. I wasn't sold on the cast outside of really Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot, though. I know, unlike one of my co-hosts here, I like Gal Gadot quite a bit. I think she looks amazing in the outfit. I think it's important to not necessarily have a white model just putting on the tiara. But, you know, I was not a big fan of the casting of Jason Momoa as Aquaman. I didn't understand what they were going for with that. I didn't like the little bit we had seen of Ezra Miller already in BBS. So I was excited, but I did have some some trepidation of them putting the league together. But, you know, the stills, the Unite the Seven, I was excited to see what they were going to do, though. I mean, there's no doubt. I, I mean, the marketing was in. I got a ridiculous amount of promo comics and prints and shit like that and opening night preview night you're damn right i was there ready to go 
I believe it was an IMAX because I don't think they built the Dolby screen near me yet, which is how I see everything now because IMAX doesn't calibrate their shit anymore. But this was an IMAX preview night opening experience for me. As far as I was concerned, the downtrodden way fans were saying that Marvel is kind of taking over, whereas Marvel is pretty much paying people to review this movie and put it down pretty much. Mm-hmm. They, they, were, they had that huge campaign going, which I thought was so ridiculous. I just yeah. want to say for the record, Marvel's not paying us to review this in any way, but if they want to put out their hand, I'm more than w- willing to take something from them. Oh, I'll, I will absolutely. They can advertise. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'll be more than happy to be hosted on property as well. Please. Taking that into account, you know, I, I have to say also that, and I have to mention this, we put down and we talk about a whole bunch of things and we make light of pretty much 95% of anything that's out there. But in the lead up to this, there was also word that came out that Zack Snyder left this production due to his daughter committing suicide. And that is something I will never, ever put down. I feel bad for his family. I feel bad for the fact that they had to go through that. I've only seen Zack Snyder live for a number of minutes. I saw him at the 2007 Comic-Con when he had introduced the 300 DVD and he would also he also announced that he was working on Watchmen and the guy just seemed like, seems like a very applicable very nice guy honestly just yeah. to see him happen to go through that I, I would not wish that on anybody and and, and, and I am no way going to put that down throughout the course of this podcast and I know my cohorts won't either yeah for Zach for his wife for that tragedy they had to go through I, I can't imagine and I know afterwards I donated to the fund in her name, and I know many others did mm-hmm. also. Yeah, I did too. Um, yeah. Having said that, my question going in, how much of the fact that we get mostly a Joss Whedon film had to do with the fact that Zack Snyder had the lead production due to the trauma associated with that death? Or how much of it was Warner Brothers just taking this, already planning to take this out of his hands and just using that as the catapult to get him off the production? I have a lot of thoughts about this movie in general. This is, I think, one of the most compromised superhero movies that has ever been made for a myriad of reasons. Zack Snyder, obviously his family tragedy. I think he made the right decision for himself and his family to step aside. But I do think Warner Brothers used that, as terrible as this sounds, as incentive to get him off the project because they used him as a scapegoat for why the movies were not performing as they were. I do think he bears some responsibility for the previous failures because he had so much of his vision in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. But here's what I don't get. Warner Brothers are false gods because, if you remember, right after Man of Steel came out, Snyder said he had a five-film story arc planned. It was going to be Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and a three-film Justice League story. Originally, that script was co-written with Terrio, or at least that vision, but apparently that version never got past a certain point. I would have found it interesting if he got to carry out his vision. But this is also my problem with Warner Brothers in general, with this entire DC pantheon of just bad decision-making and poor business. Why would you cut the legs out from someone who does have a five-film story and you already meddled with his previous movie resulting in a 30-minute exodus of content? So to me, the, the writing was already on the wall that Warner Brothers was, I don't want to say going out of their way to mess with Snyder, but I found a lot of what they were doing to already be signals that this production was not going to go as well as I thought it would. But that's regardless of what would have, what happened with his family. I think they were looking for any way to course correct. 
however they needed to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the ultimate edition of BVS was already out, so we'd already seen that his vision, and and I don't mean that to sound as arrogant or even defensive as it could be, but when his vision is able to be restored and put out there, it's a better version than what Warner Brothers is deciding to put in theaters. And whoever had it leaked, because, you know, the tragedy with his daughter was kept kind of quiet, I think, for most of the time, but it seemed to get out that uh, he got pulled in favor of Joss Whedon. You know, I want to say that there was already rumors that he was going to take over Batgirl or helm a Batgirl movie. And they seem to want to market this for the most part on, look who we just pulled away from Marvel. You know, so the brass at DC has some brass balls to kind of treat filmmaker who had made them a fuck ton of money in the way that they have. You know, and they're paying for it now, big time. Not just with Snyder, but with others. So, yeah, compromised is being extremely generous to some of the suits sitting up there at Warner Brothers. And let's also remember that some of the actors were very vocal about the quality between both cuts of BVS. I know Jeremy Irons was a big proponent of the the Ultimate Edition. I think Ben Affleck was the same. But they were already playing damage control. And it got worse that Suicide Squad was so... When you hire a trailer company to come in and re-edit an entire movie to get an entirely different tone, they swapped out Steppenwolf, who was going to be the main villain of the Suicide Squad, because of the Justice League rewrites. There were delays in shooting. There were so many warning signs before the official announcement came up. And what a lot of people don't remember because of the whole release the Snyder Cut, part of the reason why that got so much backing behind it was that Snyder's movie was basically done before he had left. The assembly cut was about five hours, but he had almost everything he wanted shot that he and Terrio had in their vision. We'll talk about those more so in a couple of weeks. But apparently, Warner executives saw it, and apparently Insider said it was unwatchable. Warner was like, nope, we have no plans to ever release it. And that was when all the mandates started to come down. When, when Joss Whedon was hired, Apparently, Kevin Sujihara said the Justice League could not exceed two hours. Just so much, just a, a cacophony of bullshit that set me up to say this movie is going to be a dumpster fire of colossal proportions. I walked into Justice League expecting to see something artistically not like Batman and Robin, but that effect where this might kill comic book movies for years because it's going to be such just a mishmash and clusterfuck. Wow. That's fascinating, especially considering that you could not have two more contrasting visions than Joss Whedon and Zack Snyder. I think there are very good points and very bad points for both of them. I'm a massive Whedon fan. I have gone through Buffy five, six times. I I just think the guy has a very, very good vision of what makes a good story. There are times, and I showed my girlfriend Buffy and Angel for the first time. I mean, she was bawling at certain points. I mean, there are times when he just wrecks your heart. But then he's very, very funny, too. He's got a very good wit about him. Zack Snyder, you can say a lot of things about Zack Snyder. One thing he doesn't have is is a wit to keep things light. But all that being said, though. In the lead up to this, it's really funny because, you know, we're going to talk about the Snyder Cut in a couple weeks. But a lot of people, when this movie had come out, I want to go ahead and jump to it. There's a scene where Aquaman's telling all these truths because he's sitting on the lasso. Well, that wasn't a Whedon thing. That was a Zack Snyder edition. That was his idea. So there are things in this movie where I think it kind of gets a little contrast because I, because I think Snyder was kind of trying to live up to 
okay, I'm not the deep, dark guy that people make me out to be. I'm going to try to be a little lighter with this one. And I think I he th- kind of fell, fell on his face with that. I think both of them at some point tried to do that. My feelings on Joss Whedon contrast to Garrett. That's more of him as a person. But I think you see some of this. I think you see Joss going, you know what? I get to do something a little different. I get to do some things a little darker with this movie. Because when you walked out of this, there was, oh, who directed this? Who directed that? Ooh, this was this person. I could tell. This is this person because this is what was said. And a lot of times people are fucking wrong. (laughs) You know, there's some stuff that Joss Whedon shot in this that looks great. And I can't believe I didn't think he had it in him to direct. So I think he impressed as well being able to go into the Batman, I'm going to say, side of part of this and really the opening and shoot things in a way that he hasn't shot before. You know, and this is a guy that he hasn't done anything since this, actually, because it was the Age of Ultron this, and Joss hasn't directed since. Well, he did The Nevers, which is a show for HBO, but then as soon as did all the get- stuff that came out, the downfall of this, pretty much put the kibosh on that, and I believe he only got half a season done with that. And then the other thing that was leading up to this, too, was the story that Warner Brothers had come out with was that after things that had happened with Snyder and his family, Ween was the one who said, you know what, I want to do this for my friend. I want to step in and I want to help correct this. Oh. Where That's not what happened. That is no. so not what happened. And Matt, I think you hit it on the head where you know all these contrasting things had come out about the making of this movie that just going in, I was like, I don't know if this could even live up to anything. <laughs> you know, I don't know if this could be anywhere near as good as I was hoping it would be. Because growing up, I wanted a Justice League movie so bad. I wanted Batman on screen. I wanted Superman on screen. And we almost got that. In 2008, we almost got it. George Miller had a vision, as we mentioned when we were doing Batman v Superman. He had a vision of getting these characters together. Yep. And then that faltered. And, and not, not to mention, this was going on at the time that Superman Returns had come out. This was going on at the time that Batman Begins had come out. And they were doing separate things. They're going to have a separate Batman. They're going to have a separate Superman, along with Brandon Routh and Christian Bale. Like, all of this was just from the beginning. This was not the way to do a superhero get-together like this. And it's crazy, because so much of that, I mean, the worlds have never, in the movie universe, felt like that they have come together. There's a quick joke in Batman and Robin where Clooney Batman says, this is why Superman works alone. When the Superman movies, nothing in them makes you feel like there's a Batman anywhere in that universe. And conversely, nothing in the Batman movies ever makes you feel like there's a Superman in that universe. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunities the first time to feel like these characters share the same world, share the same universe, share the same planet, because we've never got that feeling before in any of the iterations we've got. Also, it needs to be said, too, that this was supposed to be started six years before this because... We haven't discussed it yet, but we're going to get to it. It's not on the media schedule, but eventually it will have to be. Green Lantern was supposed to launch this whole thing. (laughs) And that went very poorly. When they brought Snyder in, you know, he kind of did a course correction and he kind of springboarded this. And this is what we get as a result of that. As a kid, I was more of a a Just League kid than I was an Avengers kid. So there was there was a part of me that could help but not get excited at the idea of seeing all these characters together in live action. But doing it this way, in this continuity, I'm not going to say that it was wrong to do this before you did your, your standalone movies, because I, I think if they did that, then the Marvel copycat preachers would just never stop. But my hesitancy was all just the bullshit and hearing that, oh, Joss Whedon's only going to do minimal reshoots, I think is what they said. They being Warner Brothers, which proved to be an out, and a, a bold-faced lie, which is 
unfortunately, a lot of what has come out of Warner Brothers' mouth when it comes to this movie in particular. But I'm like Adam. The, the casting is what I was not on board with, with the exception of Affleck and Cavill. More so Affleck, because I, I think Cavill kept getting, well, we'll save it next year. And, and I knew we were stuck with Gal Gadot. But the weird thing was Wonder Woman came out in between this and Suicide Squad. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I said, walking out of that theater, this is a fluke. Jason Momoa, I had only seen him in Game of Thrones and that dog shit Conan the Barbarian remake. I didn't see him as Aquaman. That just seemed, that seemed like a Snyder thing where it's, you shouldn't have to overcompensate to make Aquaman cool. Uh, and that's what I felt like they were doing. Ray Fisher, I had never heard of because he was predominantly a theater actor. And when I heard Ezra Miller was going to play The Flash, my instinct was, oh no. And that's not me being the part of the Warner Brothers insurance company or the promotional team. <laughs> that was me just saying, I really don't see him as any version of The Flash. And I don't care which one. Barry Allen, Wally West, hell, even Jay Garrett. I don't think he's any of them. But Ben Affleck was the thing where I was like, I, I was a hardcore skeptic of him, and he turned out to be great. So I said, maybe Zack Snyder does have, much like Jesse Eisenberg, he had very clear takes on these characters. because They were all cast before. Joss Whedon was even a thought. And I'm sort of in the middle ground of you guys when it comes to Joss Whedon. The interesting thing is that when you look at the movies he did, you know, the Avengers movies that he did, look at the first movie, he really didn't have much in the way of story. Marvel basically told him, here's the first act, here's the second act, here's what happens in the third act. Write it. And then you get to Age of Ultron, which does feel much more like him. But ironically, he got frustrated with the studio telling him what to do and that's why he felt so burned out so i was shocked when they said he was going to do this because i thought after ultron he was going to swear off superhero movies entirely but it did seem like dc in their never-ending quest to find relevancy were saying oh look who we just stole we stole marvel's golden goose and i'm like you didn't really do that because age of ultron wasn't the most well-regarded mcu movie Nowadays, I think it's actually aged really well. Uh, it's one of the first. Yeah, and now I hold that one in really high regard, but it just goes to show what, what the passage of time does. But we'll see if this movie has gotten better in the five years since its release. All right, let's find that out, shall we? So we open up, we get some heroic themes to start things off, and right away, boys, I have to say, you know, one of the big decisions we made, and it was very, very put down upon by all of Snyder's fans is he kicked Junkie XL off the fucking music of this. I think the music in this, he brought on Danny Elfman to do the music in this. I think he brings the heroic themes when they need to come. And uh, what do you guys feel about that decision to pull Junkie XL off this music? I think this is a damn good score. The score and the the actual songs within it. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan. I own it. And I think it fits the piece. I have no take on the music in this movie outside of there's one thing that i utterly detest because i think it sounds terrible but of all the issues i have or may not have with this movie the music is so far down my list of things to talk about that it was almost like white noise when i was watching it in the theater like you could have done this scoreless and i wouldn't have noticed that's how little (laughs) i was thinking of the music except when they uh danny elfman snuck in the theme for batman 89 Mm-hmm. I had a couple scenes and they, they play the John Williams theme. Oh, I recognize those, but the difference is I liked the versions that were associated with those characters to a certain degree. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we then get a very weird look at Superman being interviewed for a podcast 
And right away, boys, we have to talk about the mustache, right? There's yet another controversy associated with this movie uh, was the fact that Henry Cavill was filming the Mission Impossible movie around the same time, and Paramount was like, yeah, he's not shaving that. (laughs) So Warner Brothers had to CGI this, and it was the big talk. I remember there were memes everywhere. I remember all of this shit coming out about this. Every day you read about this goddamn mustache. It is distracting, I got to say, especially in this opening scene when we're seeing him being interviewed here. I do respect Whedon's decision to bookend this with Superman. But I don't know, man. I think if I would have known that it was going to look like this, I don't know if I would have done it. What do you guys feel about what goes on with the, the, the mustache gate as it had come to be known? Before I even get to the cosmetics... This is right away revisionist history because this is not the Superman that we saw in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Exactly. Because this is, this is a Superman who is open to the public. He has dialogue with people. Kids look up to him. This is not the Superman that we saw die in the previous movie. So there's that. But also, this is one of the dumbest controversies. Like, did Paramount think Warner Brothers was that stupid? They're like, we told this dumb motherfucker he couldn't shave. Like, um, just have him grow a beard or wait until he's done shooting Mission Impossible, which is my mantra for this entire movie. To quote Xenia Onotop and Goldeneye, wait for your turn. There was no need to rush this out. By this point, all the competition had come out. You could have ridden the Wonder Woman momentum wave until she died of old age, based on how well that movie did only a few months prior. So I did not understand the need to shove this out as quickly and as haphazardly as they did, especially with unfinished effects like this. Well, the, the, the renderings are done, but it, it looks awful. It is so, it is every bit as bad as I remember it being. And I watched it on my good-sized TV, but then even in the theater, I was like, it was like when I saw Grandma Tarkin in Rogue One, where I'm like, oh, God, this is the Uncanny Valley personified. Yeah, much like Matt is saying, it's, it's a different Superman, and it's unfortunate because I think this shows that Henry Cavill can be a bright positive, inspiring Superman. And fuck DC, Warner Brothers, for never letting that happen. It's amazing, because, yeah, this was chosen. Joss Whedon wrote and said, I want this to start the movie. Mustache be damned. You know, and Fallout's a damn good movie, and part of the fallout of that movie is the opening to this. I remember not seeing it in the theater, not noticing his face. And maybe it's because I was like, oh, my God, they put color in the suit. Holy shit. It's blue. It's red. I do like that it's a couple kids with a phone just taking a minute to interview Superman. I think that is a bright, nice way to – I don't know if it's the right way to start this movie. In fact, it's not the right way to start this movie. But it just shows the missed potential for what we should have already gotten in BBS, Man of Steel, and a Man of Steel sequel before this movie ever fucking happened. And watching it again, yeah, that that mouth is just as bad, if not worse, than every beam ever done about it. It is unforgivable. Yeah, I definitely agree with you guys when it comes to Superman, and we'll get to that next year. But, God, the potential was there. We're seeing newspapers with the headline that Superman is dead as we glimpse Batman hanging a bad guy off a building, saying he wants fear from him. Wow. So this is how we're introduced to Batman. Now, this was a Whedon edition yep. because this is how he wanted Batman to be introduced. And then he's he's attacked by one of these insect-looking... It's a parademon. Okay, parademon, <laughs> which explodes <laughs> when Batman ties him up. Uh, I don't this, know why it explodes. 
<laughs> and fucking thing's got a predator self-destruct built into himself. Uh, apparently he does. Uh, Batman concludes that it's a scout, and according to him, it's time to start heading out and gathering his men. So we saw the, introdu- the introduction of Superman, and now we're seeing the introduction of the Batman. Quite a contrast between characters, wouldn't you guys say? Yeah, I like cosmetically the design of the of the rooftops, but it's some really bad green screen work as far as proximity. And because of the way Snyder designed Ben Affleck's suit, where it's it's one uniform color, by changing the lighting and your color grading, it's going to throw off your entire visual aesthetic of the movie. So just the, these little cosmetic things are a hindrance. But the dumbest thing in this scene is Bruce is standing on the rooftop with the criminal going, Alfred, did you hear that? Like, all that guy has to do is be like, wait, I'm in Gotham City, and there's an Alfred. Oh, my God, Batman's Bruce Wayne. This is one really strange-sized soundstage, and it's shot in a way that makes it look like it's a soundstage. I liked it at first to see Batman on a rooftop, you know, going after a bad guy, but to dangle somebody off a building because this guy needs the smell of fear. You know what? Go to Arkham Asylum and pick up Dr. Crane. You'll get all the fear assist that you need, Bats. Or just criminals are afraid of Batman. Him just showing up would probably inspire some fear. Uh, I mean, are we going back to Jerry Maguire like we talked from last week? Did you know that bees can (laughs) smell fear? (laughs) Let's not forget, too, boys, that this is the exact way Batman was introduced in 89. So I think they're kind of playing off that as well. But... Yeah, this is just an excuse to get this parademon out there. And yeah. Why does it, like, when it explodes, why does it leave the mother boxes? Right. It makes no fucking sense. Oh, my God, boys. Once we get to the mother boxes, I have a shit ton of questions. Well, I'll shit open ton. up my DC encyclopedia because we'll, we'll be here all goddamn <laughs> night. <laughs> oh and as God. we learned in about 30 seconds, you've got all these renderings from Lex, who I guess has been drawing them in Arkham Asylum. It doesn't say, it just says we got these from Lex. So you have the info. What good does it do to, oh, these look just like that? No, it looked like three squares on a wall. All right, so as people who are going to listen through this podcast all the way through and hear the bloopers, they know that the two other gentlemen on this podcast have already let me know their feelings on the intro song here. Let's just get that out there again. This is a Zack Snyder special. His choices of music aren't exactly very Michael Mann-esque, I would say. As to me, the majority majority of his title sequences and choices of music are just awkward. And I'm... Kind of with Matt on this, I think this opening theme here is just—it's just so weird. Everybody knows, really. Like this is love. Matt, it. I right. love this. I love this song. Do you this, really? Why? I love it when Leonard Cohen sang it. See, I don't think I've heard Leonard Cohen's version of it, so maybe that's why I hadn't heard it other than here. And, and I think it fits. I think it's got some just some resonance and passion behind it. It sets it up a little bit different. Big fan of it. I don't know whose decision this was, but I—I I thought this was. And, and everything's, it, this looks like Zack Snyder's world where everything's all grayed out. And I get it, the world is supposed to be without Superman, the symbol. But like I said yeah. in the previous movie, this is not the Superman that people were. It's the Michael Jackson syndrome. Now that he's dead, we're going to look up to him um, <laughs> and, and overlook some of the, the questionable stuff. But the, I was actually funny when the guy kicks the oranges. That makes me laugh every time. That that was the most I felt in this opening ten minutes. I felt so bad for that for that pile of oranges. Like I thought it was a it was a nod to Francis Ford Coppola and The Godfather, where those people. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. When they were going to get offed 
See, I was going with Inception, and uh, <laughs> that's oh, nice. I thought it was a nod to Nolan. Well, Christopher Nolan watched this and said, "Take my name off this." Well, Nolan did say. Well, Nolan didn't say it. What, what had come out was Zack Snyder went to Nolan, and then Snyder apparently has never seen this version of the film. And what Nolan and Emma Thomas both told him was, "You know what? Don't watch it because it will break your heart." So, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't blame him for not watching this, but you also never get the sense in this movie that Superman's been dead for two years, which is how much time is supposed to pass. I'm like, Batman, you waited two years to put this team together after you got all of the fucking information from Amanda Waller? <laughs> oh, there this is, is not so the world, much. This yeah. is not the world's greatest detective. And this is this a Batman who hit up Jack in the Box in between uh, scenes. <laughs> this, uh, this is not the Ben Affleck who was dropping tires and doing CrossFit. No, it is not. <laughs> he, uh, he's looking a little bloated in some of these scenes. He's the one where you can tell what the reshoots are, more so than Henry Cavill's fake CGI lip. <laughs> so we're seeing Lois visiting Superman's grave, and uh, chaos is ensuing in Gotham. We're seeing a bunch of guys in suits try to plant a bunch of explosives, and they are interrupted by Wonder Woman in a nice little showcase for her. She's using her lasso of truth, and more Snyder specials, as a lot of this fight is in slow-mo. She's blocking bullets with her wrist, and I'll say it's a pretty cool scene. I, I do like this little intro to Wonder Woman. I do like that Wonder Woman is actually, you know, people look up to her as a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, this scene has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. No. No. <laughs> uh, so it, it's cool for the purpose it's trying to achieve, but... I think there could have been a way to introduce her where she does something that's actually integral to the story. Like, have her save people from parademons. Yep. Um, yeah. Or, or do something, because, you know... Or have some people who have been affected by the anti-life equation. Yeah, you might as well be speaking Klingon to Garrett when you say that. <laughs> Meanwhile, Bruce asks Aquaman for help. He says he'll give him $25,000, and after some back and forth, and Bruce bringing up Superman dying... Aquaman still doesn't agree. And I'm with you guys. I thought this casting of Jason Momoa... And the jokes were all out by the time this was out that he was like the dude bro fucking Aquaman. You know, Aqua like... Bro. He's Aqua bro. And I, I definitely feel that here. I don't know. Is there charisma here? I don't know. I, I find him to be just a weird part of this team. It also doesn't help that when they, they zoom in on his face, he's got these really awkward lenses in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just looks a little strange. But there's a DC character called Lobo for those that know, and he would be the ultimate perfect Lobo, especially to face off against Superman in a Superman v. Lobo movie. So that they screwed the pooch so bad, and I don't think we'll end up getting to it, but, you know, I really enjoy the the Aquaman movie for what it is. Well, we'll get to it. We'll get you to know, it eventually. Are we going to get to it one day? But I will say at least, you know, on the surface uh-huh, of the water, it's an interesting choice, you know, but I'll give Zack Snyder is known for some unconventional choices. Whoever knew that the same guy that played Phantom of the Opera could be King Leonidas in 300. So he goes out there. He, he stretches. My favorite person in this movie. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> I like that Aquaman, he gives no fucks. They, they kind of made him Thor, but not as goofy as he became, Wh- which I do like because he's the, he's the one who's like, look, I'm only doing this because I got nothing better to do. I, I don't think Momoa is the greatest of actors, but I like him as Aquaman. I think he's fun to watch. I do think he's charismatic, but but more of a 
the quiet one. And it's just so ironic that Zoe Kravitz is his stepdaughter. Yeah. He auditioned for Batman, ironically. Oh, did he really? And Snyder liked him enough to where he's like, and this is where the thing was like, Snyder had takes on these characters. This one just felt like, I like Jason Momoa, so I'm going to make him Aquaman, because the, the jokes have written themselves. Aquaman has been a punchline for mm-hmm. decades, mostly because of the Super Friends cartoon with the with the green and the orange tights. But if you read the Peter David Aquaman run, which if you haven't, it, it's actually great. They kind of made him more badass without going this overboard. Because um, I remember seeing that production still of him with the Unite the Seven which, by the way, Warner Brothers can't count because I only see six people comprising this Justice League, not seven, so they fucked up their own marketing campaign. Yep. Which we'll talk about the number seven because there was one in mind, apparently. But I, I think he's he, 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 he's what this movie needed. He's the only one that I think actually makes me laugh when it's called upon. Hmm. That one coming up, that actually makes me laugh a little more. You say, as a Bruce, player, I'm going to bitch slap you. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce and Alfred are talking about what's next and who they can get to join them. And Alfred says that he misses the days when their biggest concerns were wind-up penguins. So, <laughs> so like we're in the Burton line. verse, apparently. I thought that was like actually a pretty clever line. I like Irons. That's in this definitely stuff. a Whedon edition. Yeah, I, I like that Irons is the same. You know, he he's a competent Alfred, but still has no problem busting Bruce's balls when necessary. To me, this reinforces that Irons is just such a great choice to play this role. He's still trying to get him laid. He's like, have you talked to Diana lately? <laughs> hey, hey, you know, the pretty woman? Hey, come on, Bruce. Yep. <laughs> we didn't see the Flash as he messes with people in prison, which is where he's seeing his father, and as Wait. opposed to Ezra Miller, who is now seeing this from the inside. When you guys mention characters that make you laugh, yeah, this is the one who I think Whedon himself kind of saw a lot of himself in this character. I think this is more of a Whedon-type character than any other part of this movie, and I, I, I feel it from him. I, I And I enjoy Ezra Miller's deliveries. You know, it's kind of hard sometimes when you get, you know, when you get to the point where you're seeing the behind-the-scenes and you're reading about these people outside more than we did when we were kids, Adam. It's kind of hard to separate them, but when I'm watching this movie, I gotta admit, I laughed a lot of Ezra Miller's lines in this. Adam, is this where we, uh, we take off the boxing gloves and just go bare knuckle? <laughs> <laughs> I was prepared to hate Ezra Miller more than I do, but I've seen so many different versions of The Flash. I grew up watching The Flash 90s show. I absolutely love, loved The Flash on, on CW. So this was, not a Flash that was doing much for me. I don't hate him. I do think one of the worst crimes in this film is the utter waste of a great actor like Billy Crudup for all of the three minutes that we get to see him there. Billy Crudup of Almost Famous and freaking Watchmen fame. I don't know why you get him to misuse him that way. But this Flash, I mean, yeah, in this prison scene, you know, him drawing a little bit, yep, yeah, makes me laugh, but hashtag not my Flash. They did a cool version of him in Smallville, which you and I might watch eventually. Never uh, seen it. Yep. I think on the page, some of the stuff he says is funny, but Miller's delivery, especially because he, he plays the Flash as someone on the spectrum. Yeah. That, that is plainly visible. Um, and and I, I, I like that angle for someone that moves at the speed of light, but yet his brain can't fully process everything. But to me, much like Jason Momoa, it's not the comic version of the Flash. This is, this is sort of an, a new take, just you know, taking the actor and fixing them upon it, which I support most of the time. But I wish people realized that there's more to the Flash than just jokes. 
um, mm-hmm. which I think is a problem here. He's just here to, to be the comic relief. Yeah. Well, that's the way Spider-Man's used in the Marvel universe until we get to his movies too. No, well, that's a whole oh, that's a whole separate issue. Everybody's fucking comic relief after a certain point. But the difference is that I don't think people realize that Barry Allen and Peter Parker are two different characters. Yes, they both have one-liners, but they do have different you know wants and and motivations. So I understand this seems like Warner Brothers saying, "Oh yeah, we're just going to make the Flash. He'll do nothing but tell jokes because." We need some some kind of levity in this movie. And this is also when, obviously this was set up in, in Batman versus Superman, but the Justice League does not have to be these members. You know, you could put almost anybody that you want outside of your trinity. You know, you need to have, for me, you have to have Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, period. That is the DC Holy Trinity. To me, that's a big problem that Warner Brothers has, is everybody has a version of those three characters that are theirs. Those are household names. People hold true to those. You know, Marvel has done an amazing job. It has it e- a little bit easier that they can characterize people that nobody gives a fuck about because they don't know Iron Man. You can, though, once you have those three, take whoever you want and put them around them. Build the team that has the right styles for what you're going to do. It doesn't just have to be this one, this one, this one, this one, because... That's who's in this version of the Justice League comic. The team has changed. The team had so many different members, and not just Justice League, but, you know, if you go JLI with International, JLA with Justice League of America, JLU with Justice League United, I mean, you can build a team with better characters than the one we have. The Flash is a great character, being that even shit, his show on CW eclipsed Stephen Amell's Arrow in the number of seasons. They stopped being good after three, but still... You get a character that's going to do something for this movie, not just be in this movie. And unfortunately, that's all that The Flash is. He's just in the movie. That's it. We didn't see Cyborg being reborn by his father, played by Joe Morton. Kind of coincidence, because Joe Morton did a similar thing in Terminator 2. Keep this guy away from Cyborgs, goddammit. <laughs> no shit. And these scenes with... Cyborg proclaiming himself to be a monster and running his metal hands along a table, along with the just terrible CGI on him. They're bad. They're really, really bad. I do not like Cyborg in this. He's the one I would take out. Oh, I could not disagree. Sorry, go ahead, Matt. I fucking hate everything they do with Cyborg in this movie. I hate it so much. Yeah, it's terrible. He's He's a fucking stick in the mud through this entire movie. He's the, he's kind of the opposite of Cyborg in the Teen Titans, where he's actually got a personality. But I also think he's the character who is victimized the most by this change in production. Especially if you've seen the Snyder Cut. But all the empathy and all the pathos that comes from this character is is not here. He's just portrayed as the as the outcast. He he is the Hulk on this team, uh, where he views himself as a monster exclusively. Uh, sort of a cross between the Hulk and Frankenstein's monster, uh, not just because they, I think they referenced the second one. I talked about this with BBS. I hate when they put Cyborg in the Justice League. They did this purely because they needed a black person. I think that is the sole reason why Cyborg is here. Yep, I agree with you. And it's disappointing that they can't do better with them. I don't want to judge this with a movie that we're going to, that we're going to review in a couple weeks, but there is a better version of Cyborg and it's not in this movie. And, 
I didn't know how much credence to give to Ezra Miller joke. Didn't know how much credence to give to Ray Fisher because some of it seems so over the top, his comments and his views. But when you see his footage restored, holy shit, Joss Whedon fucking did him dirty in this movie and just ripped all the character out of this character. And it's bad. It's really bad. We're seeing teases of a threat as we cut to the Amazonian planet where uh, Wonder Woman is from. We then Mascara, if you want to get technical. Okay. Um, and it's got all the C- yeah, it's got all the CGI wonder of a PlayStation Two game. <laughs> this <laughs> this shit looks awful when they're when they're doing the the pan towards the Coliseum that's housing the cube. Yep. It yeah. looks so fake, and in in Patty Jenkins' movie, it's gorgeous because the water is bright blue and the and the sands are are really lively. They just sapped all the color out. It's like that Powerpuff Girls episode when the clown gets covered in bleach and removes all the color from the world. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted Bubbles to come out in the middle of this movie and play the drums so we could get some fucking color in this movie. Outside, of, <laughs> outside of, It's like it went all wet to Superman's costume, and that was it. <laughs> How do you not take you know some B-roll from Wonder Woman and use that to flesh out your Themyscira here? You know, I mean, this is Paradise Island. Make it look like it. It's nice to see Queen back, Connie Nielsen here, because here's an Amazon that can act. But, yeah, the rest of it doesn't look very good at all. They're checking on the box, which finally opens, and here we go. The fight is on. We get more of, and I know, you know, you want to call them parademons. I want to call them flying mantises, because that's what they look like to me. (laughs) As uh, Steppenwolf steps out, and then he just goes to town. Now, this character... The Steppenwolf. Seventies <laughs> rock, really? God damn it! Yeah. Um, uh, when, he stepped, when, he stepped, when he stepped out of that portal, I yelled in the theater, uh, "Skyrim is that way." <laughs> <laughs> All right, we could say that this is a very, very generic baddie to put in this movie, and I would completely agree with you guys. But here's what I'll say: Marvel does the same thing. Marvel's villains aren't exactly that good. All right, here I was we're going to say. So All right, Kid Joss's camp. All right, here, here we go. Calling Steppenwolf generic is an insult to generic villains. <laughs> this is as straightforward as can be. I Absolutely. Look, I look mean, and I'm here to fuck shit up. That, that <laughs> is all this character is. And Steppenwolf is such a counterintuitive choice to do for the Justice League movie. Because we've seen in the previous DCEU movies, villains who are far more powerful... So in my head, I'm like, why are you bringing the Justice League together to fight Steppenwolf? Um, Because there's never a moment where he feels like he can actually take on all of the Justice League, let alone one. Hell, I'm pretty sure Batman could kick his ass. Mm -hmm. And and to answer your question about Marvel, they picked the worst time to release this because this came out the same year as Guardians 2 and Spider-Man Homecoming, which I think showed that Marvel can actually do really strong villains. They just have to be fathers, apparently. They have to be bad fathers, apparently. <laughs> and it was 11 years later, too. And, Adam, you say this is a Joss Whedon special, and if you're going off his movies, I can agree with you, but he has done so many villains that are so contrast. I mean, look at Spike, for God's sake, in the Buffyverse. He is really, really fleshed out <laughs> as a vampire. Huh? He oh, is when he just... writes long form as a series, I'm sure. Yeah, Yeah. it's fantastic. And I agree with you. You know, we're going to get to the Avengers eventually in the next few years. But I I do agree with you in that. And, you know, we're we're looking at that exact thing, right? We're looking at Chitauri and Thanos, right? Oh, yeah. 
that, in that's his version. Absolute, version. Well, and not this wouldn't even be Thanos. I mean, it's Steppenwolf is the uncle of Darkseid. Mm-hmm. So, well, depending, so he's he's the herald of Darkseid. He should be bringing the threat of he who will come behind me. He should be what <laughs> to take it to another Marvel property. The arrival of the Silver Surfer being a warning for Galactus that's going to come destroy everything. You know, I mean, Steppenwolf, except Steppenwolf is a villain, you know, so he should be here to kick your ass to prepare you for the ultimate evil that is coming. Except in this movie, you don't get that whatsoever. They only reference Darkseid by name in this cut. Yep. You, don't, you don't see him, you don't get get any glimpse of him, so... This would have worked better if they followed Snyder's plan and this was like part one of his of his multi-film story because Steppenwolf is not the he should not be the be all end all villain for your Justice League, especially with how nonchalantly eaten by Superman at the end. Where it's like, oh, we assembled a team so Superman can do everything for us. <laughs> yes. How is he in the comics? Depends he on who he's written. Yeah, and he's never been like uh, DC's got a great pantheon of villains with all the stuff with Apocalypse, not the X-Men Apocalypse, Apocalypse the, the world. They are basically the new gods is what they're called. So they're pretty, yeah. uh, they're immensely powerful. You know, they're Jack Kirby creations, so they're they're pretty interesting. I think Kieran Hines does the best with what he's asked to do, which is just grumble and sound menacing. But yeah, I thought this was, I would not have done, I would not have done Steppenwolf at all, to be perfectly honest. And part of it is just, we we saw Wonder Woman fight Ares, and he felt so much more of a threat going up against Wonder Woman, as terrible as that fucking CGI looked. I don't know what's worse, the the mustache removal on Henry Cavill, or the insistence to keep the mustache on David Thewlis. <laughs> I'm going Colin B there. Yeah, Steppenwolf is just a, such a waste. You know, the only time, I don't know, if, if Ava DuVernay's canceled New Gods movie was going to do him differently, but there's potential for him to be just a rank-and-file badass, especially if he was to turn against his master dark side, you know, the ultimate evil. But do you really want your major thing to be just, you know, it's to be done up by your, your Aaron boy? You know, that's who's bringing your team together. It's such a letdown. They fire arrows full of fire, as, and then we cut to Diana realizing what exactly is going on. I'll say before this, I like seeing the Amazons fight. I like returning there to see the battle. I like seeing the Amazonians. I think the women are fantastic. The shots taken in the press because, oh, they're dressed this way. How dare you? And to have them come out, these women, and be like, fuck you. I work my ass off to look like this, and I am proud. Good on them. These warriors look like warriors. And Wonder Woman, the first movie was pretty damn amazing. Wonderful, one might say. And I'm always prepped to go back to Themyscira to see these women kicking ass. We cut to Lois, fresh from grabbing the kryptonite spear a couple weeks ago. She's having coffee with Martha Kent, saying that she's just happy doing soft pieces on kitten grooming because she's not ready for tougher stories since Clark died. Oof. That must have been some amazing Superman dick if she's still not over <laughs> two, year, two years later. And this is a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter. Yeah. And, and I think that this is one of the worst, like, insert scenes um, because it plays on... Joss Whedon's bullshit pedestal of feminism with the reporter who comes in and is like, oh, what guy is your source? She goes, what makes you think it's a guy? I'm like, Joss, you have to stop pandering. 
because it, it's kind of insulting. He hides behind that shield like Cap- fucking Captain America does under under his. It's it's kind of ridiculous. We cut to Victor getting a glimpse at what's headed his way as Bruce gets a visit from Diana, who says the the attack is already here. We didn't see one of the worst decisions this movie made, giving Godot exposition involving Steppenwolf. Oh my god. You Jesus have, Christ. You, you have Jeremy Irons in your movie. You don't give it to <laughs> Hell, give it to Connie Nielsen. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Give it to... Anybody. Yeah, anybody else. This is like having Polly Shore read the phone book to you. Um, it is so emotionless. I swear to this. It is. This yes, sounded she's... like something that you would hear on the Senate floor in the Phantom Menace, <laughs> with, with the amount of just emotionless monologuing. It is so bad, and I hate that we got dick teased with Green Lanterns. That made me so mad. I know. <laughs> I knew you were going to call that out. Yeah. As you see, the ring. You know, Steppenwolf kills a lantern. And you see the ring fly off. So I thought we were going to see. Whoever, whether it's Hal Jordan, Kyle Rayner, John Stewart. I know. thought we were getting John Stewart forming up. I thought that's who the seventh was going to be. And I thought that was going to be the big surprise of the movie that was that you would see in Greenland. I mean, we kind of saw one, but which is <laughs> funny. He looks like Larflees is the only Orge Lantern. Yes. Which I, I thought was pretty funny. But but this looks like discount Lord of the Rings. It's basically the opening of Fellowship of the Ring if it sucked. It costs half that half the amount of money too, which is weird. Amazon show looks better than this shit. I tell you, when, once you start giving dialogue about combining worlds and allies from other worlds, I am tuned the fuck out. Especially if it's given by Gal the fucking Doe. <laughs> we're acknowledging that there was once a time where the Alanians were on land. The, Alanians, mm-hmm. the Amazonians were public. You had lanterns. So there, DC actually WB took advantage of the the pantheon of worlds that coexist because it took Marvel a long time to really take advantage of, of the cosmic scale of the MCU. Yeah. You know, I think they were afraid of it for the longest of time. Whereas DC, you can jump feet first more so because the characters are, are treated as a pantheon of gods, okay. which is kind of a problem. I have kind of a problem I have with this movie is that again, they're still treated like gods and they, they don't feel like people with actual wants and desires. Speaking of gods, in this scene, we see some of the Greek gods literally on here fighting with them. That's what I was hoping we'd get in a Wonder Woman sequel, is I literally want Gal Gadot kind of doing God of War, Gal Gadot versus Mount Olympus style. It's so, But we at least see that Greek god, Mount Olympus, that pantheon of literal Greek gods here fighting in this universe, which fascinating, but it's over, and it's a flashback, and as you've both <laughs> said very succinctly, that voiceover narration that she's doing if your vocal and mouth cannot wrap around the words in a way to deliver them pleasantly you're not the right person to be doing the dialogue we cut to flash aka barry allen coming home to bruce being in his second favorite chair he asks about his abilities (laughs) which flash says involves very competitive ice dancing as he catches a battering that bruce throws bruce says that's exactly what he needs and barry says that he just needs friends super friends if you will (laughs) (laughs) he needs a couple of them for lawyers right now you're not kidding he says he is a snack hole and (laughs) bruce says that his superpower is that he's rich which i thought was actually a pretty good line ben affleck doesn't get much to shine here we mentioned in batman v superman you guys have already talked about it he came to play for that movie i think he came to collect with this movie collect a paycheck 
But this one time, he delivers this line of, his superpower is that he's rich. I found that very funny. Well, I'm glad someone finally said it. We've had eight yeah, exactly. live-action Batman movies, and he finally made that joke. As far as the Flash goes, I like how the Speed Force looks with Palpatine's lightning in the background. Because the problem is they got beat to the punch, not by Marvel. They got beat by X-Men of all <laughs> They got beat by... Yeah. That's right, yeah. I was yeah. like, you know, Evan Peters would have been a better Flash than Ezra Miller. Like, to me, that's that's a lot closer. I think he's much funnier and less of an asshole. Victor and Diana, they share some dialogue about what the gifts he has consists of. And for the fifth time, this movie, Diana mentions that she lost somebody she loved. And Victor oh has God. none of it and leaves her. This is so fucking... She just keeps bringing it up. Yeah, her. all the women in this movie just can't get over their, their lovers dying. Lois uh-huh. and Superman and Diana and Steve Trevor. The difference is Diana is basically immortal. Really? The one guy that you knew for like two days and exactly. in, 19, in 1918? <laughs> oh, never again. And this scene feels like a reshoot because it's shot on a fucking street at 11 o'clock at night. I, I thought this movie was sponsored by Audi with all the car porn. I tell you, speaking of cars, like she had better dialogue in fucking Fast and Furious than she does in this. I mean, the, the, the cars, at least the car can shift into gear, which she can't do when they say action. We cut to Aquaman saving a sailor and having some whiskey. My man. More, more examples of bad music placement as he drinks the whiskey and dives underwater. He then runs into Steppenwolf. They have a fight, and he decides afterwards that his only choice is to join the team. This is what it takes. You say run, I say crawls, because this felt like those video game levels in the water. Yes. Everything is, slow, <laughs> everything is slowed down. And your hits take twice as long. You know, I think if you look at a year later, the James Wan Aquaman movie, where those fights look amazing underwater with all the different creatures and the color palettes. It's like Conan the Barbarian if global warming hit its fullest potential, basically. Here, Atlantis is just a bunch of caverns and coliseums. Although I will say, I think that helmet that Steppenwolf's wearing has more acting range than Amber Heard. I was like, if this is what Atlantis is going to look like, I was dreading the Aquaman movie. And Willem Dafoe got the scenes cut. Yeah. It was announced that. that he was going to be in this, and I spent the whole movie going, all right, where's Willem Dafoe? I'm like, is he the stinger? And then the movie ended, I'm like, <laughs> where the fuck is he? Because, like, Willem Dafoe's a big name. Cut. Hell, give him the exposition. Yeah, you're not, you're not. Anybody. Anybody. We cut to more of these flying mantises taking Victor's dad hostage as well as Steppenwolf proclaiming that he's going to be taking his place among God. As a, as a Jim Gordon is here, we no, then see... Uh, you said J.K. Simmons. It's just not quite my tempo. <laughs> <laughs> we then see Barry, Diana, and Batman all meeting up before Cyborg joins them. And this reporte just isn't working. Yeah, the, none of these characters gel together in the way that the Avengers do in that first movie. I know it's, I hate comparing the two, but it's the same quote unquote director. Mm -hmm. Um, And even the introduction, I think most of them in the first Avengers movie, when you're reintroduced to the characters are pretty bad with the exception of the Bruce Banner one. I think the Banner one is exceptional because there's little details. Like he says, I don't always get what I want as he rocks a baby care, a cradle, uh, which if you know the Hulk, he can't bear children. That's a very fine detail put in. And I don't think that's coincidence on William's part. You know everything you need to know about the Bruce Banner for a new actor, too. It's a reintroduction here. We're meeting Cyborg for the very first time, and I feel nothing. The Flash, I feel more for his father than I do for him. 
and Jason Momoa just, he's just cool. He's not really playing a character. He's, he's Aquaman because we say he's Aquaman. <laughs> it feels like they're all here on a rooftop, maybe together, maybe not. It's almost like they got him in a room in green screen, told him to say some lines, and then edit it together later to make them look like they're all together. Because there's nothing that feels like they're acting against one another, that they're sharing a scene. There's no cohesiveness in the film, in them. This is them coming together, and it fuck, it doesn't feel like it. Well, I will say, I'm sorry, I'm still liking Barry Allen. I, I find him funny, especially when he says how much he's afraid of bugs, guns, and obnoxiously tall people. His lines are ringing true for me, I'm sorry. The only one that made me laugh, and I say genuinely laugh, is like, I don't really fight people. I just push them and run away. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have our first big fight amongst the Justice League as Batman's taking care of some troops and Flash saves the hostages and Wonder Woman gets into it with the big guy himself. Bruce asks Alfred for the Nightcrawler, which shows up in time to save his friends, and Flash moves the sword to Wonder Woman. This was actually pretty decent stuff. I kind of like this. What do you guys think about the fights here? That Nightcrawler vehicle was the biggest waste of time. Because it took 20 minutes for it to get... I'm like, I'm like, why did you need this? It's the slowest movie vehicle possible. Batman got confused and had Alfred build him a giant spider bot. Because there is nothing on that that goes with the Bat logo. It's not a Bat vehicle whatsoever. The battle ensues as Cyborg takes over the Nightcrawler. This was stupid to me. You're telling me that Batman, he needs somebody else to control this thing? They wanted to give Cyborg something to do that bad. Oh, he's got nothing else to do. I was going to say, then why put him in this fucking movie? Because uh, the mother boxes are tied to him more than anyone else. All right. You mentioned the mother boxes. I was going to save it for later. But say right now, what the fuck are these things? <laughs> because I don't have any idea of what any of their characteristics are. We go to the Avengers. We're going to get there. You know exactly what the Tesseract is, what it does. What exactly are these fucking things? Because the rules seem to change three times throughout the course of this movie. All right. So when they were originally invented in the in the comics... They're considered to be like sentient supercomputers. They can do things from like teleportation. They can heal the injured. They're basically, they're giant MacGuffins, for lack of a better word, because they can do whatever the writers want them to do. But the big thing is that it's revealed that they're sentient in certain runs. And like, apparently Steppenwolf's mother's soul is in one of them, but that was cut. Yep. So technically they, they can use the energy of the source, which now is the source wall. To kind of be a deus ex machina. They can sense life, danger, they can manipulate matter, and what's going to matter in this by the end of it is they create boom tubes, which are ways to to travel between one place and another, and usually between Apocalypse and wherever Apocalypse is going to. Now, why it matters to Cyborg is he was rebuilt with the power of the Mother Box, and he has the mother box kind of with him. He can talk to a mother box, mother box can talk to him. He should, and depending on which comic you read, depending on which animated series you read, he can open a boom tube himself and use the technology within him. I mean, this was a creation of Jack Kirby 50 years ago when he was setting up new gods, and it's kind of a, they can do whatever the hell we need them to do. So Steppenwolf, he unleashes on the harbor, which Aquaman holds at bay long enough for them to escape. And, all right. Let's get to it right now. I remember one of the big things about this movie coming out was what the fuck is this Russian family they keep cutting to over and over. And apparently this was a Whedon edition because I guess he wanted to see some citizens in peril and eventually get out and and be saved. 
which we're going to get to, you know, who exactly saves them. But I thought this was just an awkward, awkward addition to this movie. And a lot of Whedon's decisions I, I can defend, but I can't defend this one. Something awkward is being generous. <laughs> it's awful. Why are there only three people in this entire area? Like, that makes no mother, father, and a child. They play no role other than, as you said, Whedon wanted to put somebody in peril and danger. But it is awkward every time it cuts back to him. It stops any amount of momentum. There's not much going on as it is. And every time we cut to him, it's it's crap. It's utter crap. I could not believe how superfluous these scenes were to the rest of the movie. I thought the big reveal was that the anti-life equation was going to be underneath this house. As stupid as that sounds, and like I said, Garrett, I'll send you the Klingon translation momentarily, but there, I was like, there has to be a reason. Like, maybe, like, who's a Russian superhero I can think of? There's got to be a reason. And if that was your justification, if you're Joss Whedon, to show a, a family in peril, let's see, you've got Gotham, you've got Metropolis, you've got Central City, you've got Themyscira, you've got, I don't know, what, what's, a, what's a factory of sadness? Uh, uh, Detroit, you could have gone there. And instead you chose scenic Chernobyl. Congratulations. This is about as flavorful as a bowl of Cheerios. I like Cheerios. Yeah, you know what? I, I have forgotten about these scenes. I honestly had because I hadn't seen this movie since it was in theaters, like I mentioned being in this podcast. And when they started coming up, it, like it all came back to me like, oh, yeah, I remember this now. I remember what, what the big deal was because this was a huge thing, especially when the, the Snyder Cut came out. So the heroes, they go to the Batcave, which really impresses Barry, and we're hearing what the Mother Box does, apparently, which, again, I didn't process, which is why I asked you guys earlier. <laughs> and Bruce comes up with the idea of seeing if there's something in the Kryptonian ship that can help them destroy Steppenwolf, while Diana, she refutes this. All right. The elevator shot of them descending into the Batcave is some of the worst renderings I've ever seen in a major Hollywood release. It's pretty bad. Uh, yeah. And... If they had all this money to do the reshoots, invest more in your set design because they basically shot this in a warehouse. A lot of this movie is just ugly to look at, and it's uninspired. This is such a fabricated argument because we need to create drama amidst our characters in the most basic way possible because we know we have to create conflict because the movie has been unable to do so at this point because it really has no forward momentum. And by this point, I'm just wondering, uh, so when is Superman going to come back? Yeah, I mean, Matt said it's uninspired. It's this warehouse looks looks like a lazy reshoot. It's too bad. You you have your members together and you don't care. You know, I just I don't. Yeah, three hundred million dollars went into this, and that and that's what's been reported. Again, those figures can be very very adjustable. Let's just I, say. I wonder how much of that is the solo effect of shooting a movie twice. Bruce brings up Steve Trevor, which gets some hit. And then there's a debate of whether or not to bring Superman back. Hey, remember him, guys? Because nope. Snyder doesn't. And again, he <laughs> talks about Superman like he's the Christopher Reeve one, where he's like, he was a beacon to the world. Uh-huh. He inspired yeah. people. I'm like, clearly this is not the same continuity we no. watched. <laughs> you hit him over the head with the kitchen sink, you asshole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, she should have been like, oh, you mean the guy you tried to murder. <laughs> Alfred also agrees that bringing Superman back would not be a good idea. But Bruce says that the world needs Superman, and the team needs Clark. Oh, there, there's a difference between the two now? Yeah, apparently there is. <laughs> this is the worst example of Ben Affleck's reshoots. He's like 20 pounds heavier. In yes. It really is. And not to mention, you know, we didn't even talk about it when, we, when he went to go get Aquaman earlier. But he takes the bat plane, right, to go get Aquaman. 
But he, what's he do? Trek through Antarctica for five days before he gets there? Like, it's so weird the way he finds Aquaman. And by the time he gets there, he's all beardy and he's got, all, you know. Should have kept the beard. Barry and Cyborg, they share an awkward moment as they discuss how they were both the results of accidents. And Barry's not sure if their relationship has reached the bro stage. Oh, that, that is such a terrible line. <laughs> it's an awful line. <laughs> and I couldn't believe, so I, I had a friend who, you know, my friend went to the bathroom. They cut to a scene where they were digging up Superman's corpse. And he's like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> <laughs> the team finds Superman's ship, as well as a picture of Jonathan Kent. Oh, and Kevin Costner still getting paid for these movies. Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Flash starts up an electrical current that moves around the mother box and wakes up Superman. And then his big hairy chested self is in the city, and there's a fight once again with nobody around. Okay. Some of these scenes are really weird. Like, the special effects here are bizarre. It, it's very jolting. Oh, jo- well, jolting because they electrocuted him and come back to life. Yeah. Uh, th- this is such a... An overly complicated way to have to resurrect him where you have to touch the fluid at exactly this time. Yeah. Okay, so if he fails, why can't he just do it again? Yep. <laughs> so, um, it, it makes no sense. And I do love the, the, the joke about pet cemeteries because Yes, I caught that yeah. too. But yeah, they're they're just in a they're in his cemetery just digging up his body. I'm like, wait, you're the flash. You could do this in two seconds. Yep. Why are we taking our time with digging this? And why are you having the black guy do most of the work? You <laughs> Wonder Woman looks at him and just, she just says that he doesn't know who he is. Uh, what does this scene prove? That he's just stronger than everybody? Well, it's that yeah. he, he's kind of got amnesia. It's weird how the mother boxes work because when Victor is resurrected, he, he has his full cognitive past self, basically. At least mentally. Here, for some reason, Superman does not remember who he is. But as soon as he sees Batman, it sort of triggers him. But if it that triggers him, he should be like, oh, we stopped fighting after one point. I yeah. thought they were going to have Batman say, save Martha. <laughs> and we're going to have Superman yell, why did you say that? <laughs> and that was what was going to snap him out of it. Uh, this is the best scene in the movie, though. This fight. Really? Because it's the only time where I was actually interested in what was happening. Like, okay, are they, is Superman going to be the villain of the third act? Like, is he under right. is he under Darkseid's control? Does the mother bosses come from Apocalypse? I love the moment where Flash is running and you see Superman's eyes shift. Love yeah. that. That is the single best scene in this entire thing. Is Flash zooming around him and Superman, Henry Cavill, one. Holy shit, did he get his ass in shape for this? God damn. I mean, Cavill is just a specimen in everything he's ever done. But like Jackman in Days of Future Pat, like he took it to a new level for this movie. And fuck. Help by, help by CGI, by the way. That was a lot of CGI rendering as well. On his chest and abs? I uh, yeah. don't know. Uh-huh. But when you see his eyes shift to follow Flash, I think everybody collectively went, oh, fuck. And then when he starts to hit him, and you get that dark version of John Williams' theme yes. for just a few notes, it's just a great moment. Batman tells him that the world needs him, and Superman responds with, do you bleed? <laughs> just a jab at that fucking Batman v Superman movie. Scene alone, you can tell when there's different parts that are cut and put yes. into it, because... Batman gains and loses size like Carrie Fisher in A New Hope. That fat bat just gets puffier 
depending on what scene got added into this one alone. And it's distracting as all shit. I do love, it doesn't fit with this Batman, but when he gets up, he's like, oh, yeah, something's definitely bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> funny yeah. line has no place in this. No. It's a funny line. No, but and that's definitely also, a mean line. What snaps him out of it? Fucking Lois. Yep. Here's Lois to talk him down because everything in his life revolves around her. And clearly there are no secret ideas in this movie because she blows his cover yelling, Clark! And then as Batman's writhing that something is bleeding, Clark takes Lois to his mom's. Bruce reconvenes the team as Wonder Woman pretty much puts them back together. And then Bruce tells her that he hopes after all this is over, he can just stay in the shadows. I like this part of them having a moment of Bruce being hurt and what seems like, you know, Diana popping them back into place. I like this because he feels a little more old and weathered. I mean, she's hundreds of years old, but it's still, you know, the grace of a princess. This little moment here is something this movie is sorely lacking more of. Yeah, the only scenes I like to do are when she's with Batman. But you're right that it's good that he's finally feeling his age because the problem with Batman and the Justice League has always been, well, how do you make him fit because he's the only one who doesn't really have any superpowers or... Mortal among gods. He's a mortal man among gods. And you always run the risk of him being so smart that it's ridiculous. Like, Justice League Doom is the most ridiculous thing. Where <laughs> you got contingency plans for every member of the Justice League in case people turn on them. But to which, movie. I, lo- I love his, his response where he's like, I'd be stupid if I didn't have these. <laughs> Meanwhile, Clark tells Lois that it was weird in so many ways coming back, and he promises to make things right. Lois tells him that Bruce needs him, so of course he just needs to go along with it. God, I hate this Superman. I hate him so much. He then reunites with Martha. So why'd then... you say that name? <laughs> Meanwhile, Steppenwolf is reborn. He opens up the sky portal of death. There we go. And, and our, our standard third act of a superhero movie is on. And this is one of those things where I think timing really hurt this movie, because right before this, we had Logan and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. <laughs> Guardians 2 has a, you know, it's a big fight, but that's not like the sticking point. It's what happens after that fight that gives the movie its resonance. Same thing with Logan. Here, it is just a drag out fight with the villain. We have to close the portal. That's all there, there fucking is. The transport is now away as Bruce reveals his plan to cause a delay in the boxes that will give them enough time to destroy him. And this whole thing with Aquaman having the lasso of truth, this also, again, made me chuckle. And again, this was a Zack Snyder edition. Where he's like, guys, look, I'm young. I got shit to do. I'm like, you're fucking 40. We're like, (laughs) (laughs) younger than Affleck. Batman causes the troops to follow him with the sonar as this random family tries to escape yet again. Aquaman fights a few troops as Wonder Woman once again confronts Steppenwolf. Boys, how are we feeling about this final fight? I think we got Matt's views on this. Adam, as the big, big Batman fan, how are you feeling about what's going on here? I expected Batman to sacrifice himself in this battle, so that's what I thought we were going to see. I thought Affleck was going to go out resurrecting Superman and losing Batman. I don't think it looks all that good. I think the color palette is abysmal. Some of the fighting is kind of cool. You know, Aquaman can surfing down on a parademon after stabbing him through. You got some cool shots going on here. But you know what? It's a better fight than Civil War. I'll give it that. But it also doesn't have a whole lot of stakes. It's, it's fighting the Tratari. It's a bunch of parademons until we finally get up to Steppenwolf. On the bright side, at least he's formidable for 
most of the Justice League, other than one. Five, but, five six you know, of the Justice League. Yeah, it's there. It's just, it's too bad that it's so forgettable. My thing was, like, I'm finally seeing the Justice League on screen, and I don't care. And it was kind of disheartening for me to watch. I also don't like th- that red filter that's on this. Ugh. It looks like freaking grape, uh, like cherry Kool-Aid splashed across the across the scene. Like it, because it's Superman, did you need a red sun? It is ugly looking. Superman shows up right on time and bashes Steppenwolf down, and then calls Flash Slowpoke. And boys, do you agree with me here? I mean, this whole movie, these guys could have just stopped once they woke Superman, right? Because once Superman's awake, they have the upper hand. So just let Superman fight the fucking guy. The movie should have just been called The Resurrection of Superman because that's all we—that's all they really needed to do here in order to win. Oh, yeah. Superman lives. The end. Exactly. And what I basically feel this was is Whedon trying in his own way to kind of dismount the notion that Superman does not care for people and won't help civilians. I kind of feel that here. I think he's trying to do a little course correction, but there's just not enough buildup around this. Maybe he, if he could have had his own Superman movie, he could have done that a little better. Oh, yeah. I think the scenes that we get that are added to this film with Superman, I think that is Joss Whedon taking a shot at Man of Steel, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the way that Superman is portrayed. But that doesn't mean he does it better. I mean, he does it differently, but doesn't mean he does it good. And none of the banter between the two of them is great, where he's like, I don't not like you. That's the best you guys have. Cyborg and Superman force the box open because we need to give Cyborg something to do. And all of them end up working together to defeat Steppenwolf with Batman doing what he did in 1992, making his troops turn against him. This is exactly what he did in Batman Returns. <laughs> See, guys? Everything matters. Cyborg. Yeah, who's, who basically just says booyah, which is what he said in that, no, that, in that Edmund that series. Was, that, that, that was no better than saying Robin's name at the end of Dark Knight Rises. Oh, my, oh, come on. That is throwing a bone to the fans after you just sodomized a character on screen. It is, but I wanted the booyah. I needed uh, the booyah. I do like the little moment of Superman in, in Cyborg, you know, having his laugh while they're laying on the ground, though. You know, I can't feel my legs. I take it back. I'd rather be dead. <laughs> Batman and Superman make nice. As Bruce tells him that he bought the bank that took his mom's house. <laughs> and I took your mom, too, by the way. <laughs> uh, did you did, did you see what Superman is wearing? He's wearing the flannel. Ah, Like, nice. pay attention. He, he's wearing that red and black striped flannel jacket. Barry says that he got a recommendation for a job. So this was <laughs> his character arc is he gets a job. And one of the best Man. acting in this entire movie is another 10 seconds of Billy Crudup. <laughs> and Bruce, Alfred, and Diana envision their new headquarters. We end on a stanza from Lois about what it means to hope. Which in the end means that we will never be alone again as Superman flies into the sky and credits roll on Justice League. I don't know if a Lois voiceover was a way to end this, boys. What about you guys? Uh, no. <laughs> I do like, again, I, we mentioned the beginning scene, and yeah, there are problems with it, but I do like the fact that Whedon does bookend it with Superman because basically that's who this movie was revolved around pretty much, was the Justice League getting... Superman to wake up, and I I, I kind of like that. Yeah, it's also sort of like a soft reset where he feels now like the Superman that people, I guess, want. Um, and you get the classic thing of him ripping off the shirt, and you see the S on it. Yep, I'm like that, that. That's cool to see. Yeah. Um, I could have done without the narration. 
And I really could have done without this uh, end credit scene. Oh, there's an end credit scene? <laughs> I didn't know there was an end credit scene. So they cut, <laughs> turned yeah. it off. All right, so they cut to a a yacht. <laughs> and a, now Lex Luthor is now out of prison. Um, and Eisenberg is not doing any of his stick. Uh, he's playing it completely straight. And he talks to Deathstroke, who's a big character from the comics, talking about how... Played by uh, Joe Manganiello. Yep. Played by Joe Manganiello. Great choice. Um, How they should form a league of their own, and that's how the movie ends. There's no crying in baseball. Yeah, they were teasing the the Legion of Doom or the Injustice League, whichever you... Whichever... Like, I think Injustice League is fucking awful, so... Yeah. And then there's one more post-credit scene. Oh, my God. Oh, that's right. That one was a waste of time. Where Superman and Flash decide that they're going to have a race. The only bright side is you get to see Henry Cavill be a charming fucking Superman. You know, he's got a big smile on it. He looks happy to be in the suit and actually has some lights on him. And he looks like he's having fun. But him and Flash are going to have a race, which is the classic comic cover, who's the fastest. So it's a good moment, except that Ezra Miller fucking runs like he's never run a day in his life. Yeah, he looks like he's <laughs> ice skating anytime he's running. Yep. I guarantee he's run since. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the Destro scene was also meant to have an entirely different context initially. That was meant to set up more so Ben Affleck's Batman movie. Yep. Which was going to be Destro versus Batman reportedly completely low budget inside Arkham Asylum. Alright, so that does it for... Justice League, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do we give Justice League? Goudreau, you go ahead and go, sir, before your rain cuts your shit off. Now, look, here's the deal. Is this movie bad? I would say yes, but this does not anger me or upset me in the way that Suicide Squad really did. Part of that is the law of diminishing returns. Part of that is also my expectations were so low, as I alluded to at the beginning, and I got some moments that I really enjoyed. I got to see a Superman that I knew Henry Cavill was capable of being. I got to see the Justice League actually come together, which was cool. Some moments of levity that I really appreciated. It did feel like there were some there were some good attempts at course correction. But unfortunately, for a Justice League movie, nothing that they're up against really feels like it's something that warrants the Justice League coming together to stop. I was also in the camp that this movie is so straightforward that it's a detriment because there's really nothing to really analyze thematically or to talk about character arcs because it's all about just getting the team together and stopping the bad guy. There's really nothing else. The movie's not preoccupied with that. I don't think Warner Brothers was preoccupied with that, which is why there was that stupid mandate of it can't be over two hours. A couple things that I really did enjoy, but this to me was, it was a disappointment. Like I said, the, the effects work is, for the most part, abysmal. And all in all, the film does, I think, crumble under compromise. These five movies in this universe could not be of more differentiations in quality. They run all over the place. To the point where they almost don't even feel like they're in the same continuity. <laughs> and nor really should they, should they be, if, if you're asking me. But for what it's worth, it's watchable. This is the kind of movie I watch hungover on a Saturday afternoon where I put it on and I just sit there and and zone out and occasionally come back to life when there's some things that spruce it up. I'm going to go the classic 
the patented BOG uh, GC4 on 10 for Justice League. I knew you were going to get in eventually. 4 on 10 from Mr. Goudreau on Justice League. What about you, Bunch? How you feeling, sir? You know, for me, the part of the biggest disappointment was my expectations for this. You know, I'm a DC fan more than Marvel. I read, I buy Justice League issues. The animated series, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, are some of my favorite animated series. I've watched all of them multiple times with my kids, every single episode. So there are amazing Justice League stories to be told. This isn't one of them. The casting is okay at best. The ones that we've got before, you know, the Trinity, I think, are cast amazingly well. Some of the other actors that we get in this, you know, Diane Lane, I've said it before, every time she's on screen, I'm so happy to see her. I think she brings a really good presence. Jeremy Irons as well. Compromise, maybe compromise should have been had at the studio so that they didn't have to compromise the integrity of this film because there's not a lot of integrity behind it. This got put out to get released to make sure that it was out of the theater by the time that they could close a quarter at Warner Brothers to pay the bonuses to people that needed the movie to come out. And and that's a disappointment. I don't envy anybody involved with this. Joss Whedon, and say what you will about Joss Whedon, and I do, but he didn't exactly have an enviable task getting called into it. What are you going to do? Say no, I'm not going to come in and direct Justice League? You know, he had an opportunity to open up a universe over at Warner Brothers, and I wouldn't turn that down either. Though, God knows they're not calling stealing my ideas for super pets, but that's a different story. The color of this movie looks awful. The way that this thing is edited is really not good. It's you know, We mentioned at the beginning, you could have started this movie any of the five different ways that this movie does start. You know, you can randomize this movie, and it's really not going to change things all that much. The ending is your normal, ugly-looking, put-up-some-CG stuff and fight, and we're done. And that's a huge disappointment after a couple movies that already didn't reach what they should have been. I mean, there's some positive spots to watch. It's not horrid, but it's not good either. And maybe that's the most disappointing part. It's only two hours. God knows I've sat through two and a half, two hour, 40 minute movies that are utter crap. So this one, it breathes along, but... What it's breathing isn't exciting to watch. And, yeah, as Matt said, if it's on, I'm laying on the couch, I'm hungover. I'm not reaching for the remote. If I switch it during a commercial, I'm not switching it back either, though. So I'm a little higher on it than Matt. I'm happy to see Affleck back, though that bat changes sizes a lot of times throughout this movie. When we get to see Henry Cavill smile, it makes me happy because I do think he's the right cast. And I'm hoping that we're going to see it by the end of this year, that he's actually back in the red and blue with somebody who wants to make a Superman movie. Gal Gadot, I'm always happy to see her as Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman 84 notwithstanding. So, you know, there's a core unit here that could be good, but this isn't it. I'm going to land a little higher than that, but not extremely higher. It's a 5 on 10. 5 on 10 from Bunch. You know, I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast that when I came out of the movie theater, I was like, yeah, it was okay. And, you know, in watching these movies for this retrospective, it kind of gave me a new perspective, I guess you could say, you know, especially with all the years of Marvel that we have behind us, you know, everything that's been going on. To me, it's a passable movie. I I think there are a lot of things that people critique about this movie. You could critique about mostly any Marvel movie as well. I think there are things about this movie that I like more than I did back when I watched it in 2017. I think 
There are some decent lines here. I think Barry Allen is a very good character. I'm not going to say the actor. I'm going to say the character. I enjoy the character a lot. The way this scene comes together is very sloppily done. I will say that. But I think the task that Whedon had, I think, you know, there are things here that I do like, you know, and things have come out since this movie has come out. I mean, just go search Ray Fisher and Joss Whedon and you will have a plethora of articles that detail exactly his thoughts, Fisher's thoughts on what the way he was treated. Gal Gadot says that she was not treated well on the set as well. Uh, there are a lot of things about this movie that could make it feel more compromised than it does to me. I think the bigger compromise was what the studio deemed unwatchable. And the result is something that we're going to review in a couple weeks. That was the result of people saying, release the Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut. You know, it just gained a lot of traction. I'm looking at this Whedon Cut, and I don't think it's bad. I really don't. I think there are things here that I can enjoy. But it's not something I'm going to go out of my way to watch again. I'm still going to say, despite the low expectations, I came out of it feeling that this was a pretty solid 6 out of 10 movie. It's entertaining enough. There are things that I do like about it. There are things that I don't like about it. But I think the things that I do like about it outweigh it just because it's an entertaining enough superhero movie. And plus, as Adam said, if we get Superman smiling and Superman actually being the Superman I liked as a child then you're always going to get a positive review out of me. I, I just think that that character has just not been done any justice. So, yeah, 6 out of 10 for me. That does it for Justice League, as Matt has been calling it all week in our chats and on this podcast. Uh, next week, oh, we're going back to animation. Why do you guys do this to me? Next week, we're doing Teen Titans? Go to the movies. Why? Because this you're a completionist. Is, well, and I'll, well, before we bury Garrett under the swing set, this was one I said we should cover because... Agreed. Yep. So, for the record, I put this on the schedule because Batman is a prominent character. Robin is part of the Teen Titans. Cyborg is on the Teen Titans. So, to me, it's not disconnected from Batman to where I felt we could leave it off and keep going. And plus, I'm a fan of the source material. The original Teen Titans show that ran in the early 2000s is great. And I even like Teen Titans Go, the show. I thought it got a, it's gotten a bad rap from the hardcore, especially like the people who love Zack Snyder stuff, <laughs> don't care for it. But I was amped to see this. I'm not going to lie. I, I thought the trailers were very endearing. And when I saw it in the theater, I laughed my ass off, but... We'll, we'll see if it holds up, because four years is a long time, and I'm one kid down, another one coming on the way, so maybe my, my my parental shield will limit this a bit. But also, a big thing to talk about is that it's the first film that, much like Mask of the Phantasm, they did a, a live-action movie based on one of their shows. All right, I guess we can get into that next week. But until next week, when we talk Teen Titans go to the movies i listen to a lot of podcasts i'm like a black hole of podcasts i'm a podcast hole thank you gentlemen all my friends are separating the boxes is still going to cause a massive surge i have to be there but you guys should think about getting clear we're with you to this time honestly i think we're all gonna be dead way before that and you know what? I don't mind. It's an honorable end. But we gotta shut Steppenwolf down. Superman's a no-show. You got no powers. No offense. This guy might be working for the enemy. We don't know. You're tripping over your feet and mine. 
Oof. You're gorgeous. Fierce and strong. And, mm. I know we went to war with the Amazons, but that was before my time. And you know what? I don't want to die. I'm young. There's shit that I want to do. I just feel like I never really embraced the sea or the land. I've been alone my whole life being part of something bigger like this. Maybe I'm scared because I'm meant to. I think that was beautiful. You say a word about this. You'll meet every prawn I know. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast. This place is amazing, y'all. Join us next week for an entirely new review. Hollywood, here we come! <laughs> the Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. I hate everything you just said. Edited by Garrett. What is it with you? What made you what you are? Voiceovers by Adam. That's what a dose of reality will do to you. It's why I never touch the stuff. I find it waters down the hallucinations. The Three Men and a Retrospective Podcast is for review and discussion, and all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such. I was just trying to get you there. boys fuck no <laughs> should have asked this. Warner Brothers that uh-huh. <laughs> well that's the Warner Brothers is this ready yet <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this could even live up to anything <laughs> you know I don't know if this could be anywhere near as good as I was hoping it would be especially given that you know there we go my headphones are Unplug a little bit. It's amazing because, yeah, this was chosen. Joss Whedon wrote and said, I want this to start the movie. Mustache be damned. You know, and Rogue Nation's a good movie, you know, but it's not, it's not Fallout. Thank you. Fallout's a damn good movie, and, you know. As we glimpse Batman hanging a bad guy off a building, saying he wants fear from him. Wow, so this is how we're introduced to Batman.
Now this Love was this a Whedon edition. Was was that? Love this song that kicks off the movie. Well, we haven't got to the song yet. Oh, we, we, oh, I fucking hate that cover so much. All right, hold on, hold on. We're not get, we haven't gotten there yet, boys. Is it after We're this? Get, oh, yeah, it's after sorry. this. It's okay. Well, this movie is edited by Edward Scissorhands, so <laughs> after this shit should be because you could re-edit this movie and have like twenty different cuts that could start the movie. <laughs> Atlantis is just a bunch of caverns and coliseums. Although I will say, I think that helmet that Steppenwolf's wearing has more acting range than Amber Heard. Who shows up in this movie and I was like, oh god, who thought casting her as Mara was a good idea? I was wondering if we were going to mention her. Um, Because she hasn't been mentioned enough this year. You know what? I I remember when I saw her in... um, everybody. uh, What was the name of that movie? The, all the boys loved Mandy Lane. She was fantastic in that. Yeah, the movie sucked, but she was good. Yeah, she was really, really good in that. And man, like she just never lived up to that. I liked her in. Uh, I liked her early stuff, like uh, Pineapple Express. I thought she was funny. Yeah. Um, wasn't she in uh, Zombieland too? Wasn't that her? She, yeah, she was. The, the, yeah, the, she was. The, she that. was the girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, which you know, I, I don't what? think. No. Yeah, that's her. She's number 406. Uh-huh. Oh. It's a good moment, except that Ezra Miller fucking runs like he's never run a day in his life. Yeah, he looks <laughs> like he's ice skating anytime he's running. Yep. I guarantee he's run since. <laughs> <laughs> and the, 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 oh, my God. Can't fucking talk. The Deathstroke scene was... Until next week, when we talk Teen Titans, go to the movies. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm like a black hole of podcasts. I'm a podcast hole. Thank you, gentlemen. Podcast hole. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? Booyah.